I learned when I passionately pursued him, he was already pursuing me. He was already showing me things. He helped me remember those many years ago when he spoke to me about something's going to happen. And that's where I recognized I could have had this kind of relationship with him all these years. What have I been doing? Why haven't I been pursuing the Lord like this? Because he's pursuing me. Like, what have I been doing? It's just the sweetest love relationship. And one I really can't even put words to. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My guest, Suzanne Steins, has an absolute amazing story, and it's a story that begins with complete and utter uncertainty. Suzanne and I talk about her diagnosis of cordial melanoma, a cancer in the eye that is believed to never go away. Only six in a million people get this type of eye cancer. And even though Suzanne was having trouble with her eye, she felt it had more to do with her new schedule and the work environment than anything serious. So she didn't make a doctor's visit a priority. But what initiated this journey of uncertainty was a simple but out of character request from her young daughter to see an eye doctor based on the fact that she was having trouble seeing the front of the classroom, the chalkboard. In the process of diagnosing Suzanne accurately, they look at a test that looks at three markers, and it will tell a patient what their chances are of the cancer spreading to other parts of the body. Suzanne's test revealed that of the three levels, she had number three, the highest marker indicating that she's at the highest risk for her cancer to spread. But that initial diagnosis is just the beginning of her journey as she pressed into the God who had shown himself faithful in so many areas of her life. And as you listen to Suzanne's story, maybe you'll hear what I heard with regard to Suzanne's faith. Yes, she struggled with God. Yes, it was frightening. Yes, she had questions for God as the heart-stopping news continued to unfold. But God was already in motion, putting things in place in his perfect timing. And it is so like him. He moves Suzanne and her family from rural North Carolina to the hustle and bustle of Richmond, Virginia. This location in Richmond would put her much closer to the doctors that she'd need before she even knows she'll need them. And here's why I ponder her faith 
that I believe increased her miracles in her life and any of us, our faith and how it has the power and the ability to increase the miracles in her life. And it's based on First Chronicles 5.20. In chapter five, they're talking about a portion of King Saul's reign and one of the battles that he's fighting. So in verse 20, specifically the latter part of it, it says, they cried out to him during the battle. He answered their prayers because they trusted him. Suzanne's story is going to encourage your heart in knowing that God is trustworthy and faithful through the dark valleys, especially because she shares two very important updates that I'm sure have the medical field scratching their heads or at the very least rereading previous data. But now they have some hope to share with their other patients. You know, if someone had told me that I was one of six people in a million who had received something, I'd be thanking God for the lottery win. I hate to think of it like that, but I think that's where my mind would go first. Like I won the lottery. But listen to the end of this episode and hear Suzanne's parting words. In her heart, she did win. She discovered the most precious, intimate things about God in the fight for her life. Let's jump into this amazing testimony of finding the God of the Holy Bible in the midst of pain and suffering. Welcome, Suzanne, and I'm so glad you're here, and thank you for your time and the encouraging message that you have for my listeners today. Built around your journey with cancer and a rare cancer, ocular cancer, is there a formal name for this type of cancer, and what are the odds that you would have this type? Thank you, Sherry, so much for having me. So the type of cancer I have is called cordial melanoma. It's a rare type of ocular cancer and people who deal with ocular melanoma um, it's it's about six in a million that are diagnosed each year so it is very rare and it's quite a journey I've been on the last five years six in a million mm-hmm. trying to think about how to how to measure that how to wrap your mind around that with that, It's really hard to find people that understand that can relate. Thankfully, there are, you know, social media communities that provide opportunities to connect with one another or loved ones of people who are dealing with ocular melanoma. Um, But when I first was diagnosed back in June of 2018, I didn't know eye cancer even existed. I didn't either. When I saw your story. I was like, I have to hear more because I didn't even know that was a possible thing. And the diagnosis for your condition is grim. It's very grim. Yes. One of the things that deeply affects my heart about our God is how he sets things up before we even know that we need them. And with you, it has to do with a move that you and your family made and the unlikely request that your young daughter made to see a doctor. And tell us a little bit about how your journey started. Sure. So. In 2017, my husband's job relocated us from North Carolina, where I was born and raised, to Richmond, Virginia. So new state, new church, new job. I was a school counselor, and my daughter and I were in the same school as we entered the fall of 2017. And... I always have a checklist over the summer because as a school counselor, I get all things done over the summer, all fun things and I'll have to do things, right? Right. (laughs) So one of those things um, that I always take care of is an eye exam. And that was the last thing on my list. And I didn't do it. I did everything else. We had the best vacation ever. I did all, I got a new dentist. I did all the other things, but the eye exam. And that fall, 
I was on the computer a good bit for my job. And I noticed that my vision was getting a little bit blurry. I had LASIK surgery when my daughter was very small and now she's 13. She just turned 13 this year. So she was, I mean, she was, I'm pretty sure she was one years old. So I thought, gosh, I need to go get a LASIK touch up. And I was busy. I just didn't really have time to go to the, eye. let me change that. I didn't make time to go to the eye doctor. I had it. I just didn't make the time to do that. I had some headaches and I really just associated that with being on the computer a lot because every year when I go back to school in August, I get headaches from not being on the computer all summer long every day and just didn't think anything about it. Well, April rolls around in 2018 and my daughter says to me, mom, I'm having trouble seeing the board at school. And I said, really? Now for her to tell me she's having any kind of trouble and need to go see a doctor about it was miraculous in and of itself. She's terrified of going to the doctor. Um, She's gotten a little bit better, (laughs) but it's not something she would ever volunteer to do. She had a really rough experience with a tonsillectomy when she was four and she's never forgotten it. And so for her to say that, I was like, goodness, this must be really bad. We need to get your eyes checked. I said, well, we're not going to wait till summer like we would normally do. We'll make an appointment. So we got an appointment in May and this was um, around Memorial Day. And so school year is coming to an end and she goes on a Monday and I made an appointment for Wednesday. They did not have an appointment on the same day. I tried to get them back to back, you know, like he's seen and I'm seen because that would be so convenient, but they didn't. And the Lord knew that those appointments didn't need to happen on the same day. So on Wednesday, I went in and she was with me and um, the doctor there at the eye clinic, just 10 minutes down the road from my house, he looked at me and said, I'm going to need to refer you to a specialist for an emergency surgery. And I said, what? He said, you have a detached retina. I said, a detached retina. Now my grandpa had had a detached retina and had to have surgery. So I knew that that was serious, but I didn't really know what that entailed. And so I said, this isn't good. He said, I'm going to try to get you in tonight. If they can't get you in tonight, I'm going to hopefully be able to get you an appointment for first thing in the morning. And the next morning at eight o'clock, I had an appointment. And so I'm fasting. I go into this eye specialist office in Richmond and my daughter was with me. So we, you know, we had just moved the year before. We didn't have family that could take her to school. She was in the same school I was, which was 25 minutes south of where we lived. And she just had to be with us that morning. Of course, my husband was with us. And so we were all three in the room doing what I thought was going to be the pre-surgical evaluation. And two nurses came into the room and lured her out with candy. And I was like, oh, that's not good. Why is she having to leave during this questioning part? And he had done a, a pretty quick exam on my eye. And when she left the room, he said, I'm going to give you a working diagnosis of a cordial malignant melanoma. And I said, a what? Now I knew what malignant 
and melanoma meant. I didn't know what the cordal part was. I had no idea what that word was. And I, of course, thought about melanoma in terms of skin cancer. And he said it has nothing to do with skin cancer, is not associated to that in any way. This is what I'm seeing in your eye is a tumor. It's a, it's what we consider a rare eye cancer. And I said, I didn't know you could get a tumor in your eye. And he said, it's very rare. He told me, you know, six in a million. And I said, well, good gracious. No wonder I've never heard of this. And he then referred me to see a doctor at UVA, an ocular oncologist. Again, something I had never heard of. Um, And thankfully, that move the year before put us only about an hour and 10 minutes from that ocular oncologist in Charlottesville. So God knew when we moved from rural northeastern North Carolina that we loved so much up to Richmond that there was a purpose in that Mm. and many purposes, but that being one of them. As I interview women, mostly women, I hear that over and over how God was already working on their behalf. And the same for me when my husband, when I had the unexpected death of my husband, working to put things in place that I would need after he passed, because, you know, bills keep coming, the grass keeps growing, the house, you know, if you don't maintain it, deteriorates, things like that, that doesn't stop. And so he put people in place for me. And that's one of the sweetest things about God's care for us. We talked earlier and you shared something that the Lord spoke to you at a sweet friend's funeral while he was preparing you. I'm hearing it more and more with other guests that have spoken, how God dropped something into their spirit before it ever came to fruition. What did the Lord drop into your spirit when you were at your friend's funeral? So this was many years ago, well before my daughter was born. There was one year when we moved to Northeastern North Carolina from the central part of the state, I couldn't find any school counseling positions. So I taught for a year, I taught fourth grade and the Lord did that for many reasons. But here's one really important reason. I became friends with the sweetest fifth grade teacher that year. And after that school year, I moved on to a school counseling position in another county, but still of course was involved in the community and still friends with the people, you know, that I'd established relationships with that year that I taught the first year we lived there. And um, she became ill with a terminal illness and it broke my heart. Um, And it was hard to see. She was a wife. She was a mom of two beautiful young girls. And she, um, had a really difficult medical journey. She actually started to get better. And then we tragically lost her. And it was just so sad. Her body just gave up. Um, And so I I grieved really hard and went to her funeral. And it was one of the sweetest celebrations of life that I've ever seen. Of course, very sad, you know, just knowing what a precious person that she was and the impact and influence she had on the entire community. It was beautiful um, to know that she had that kind of impact. But I was sitting there at the funeral and it was just me. My husband didn't go like I just it was just me. Um, and of course, you know, colleagues and, and friends around. But. I sat there during 
the whole thing. And at one point, the Lord dropped into my heart. You're going to go through something someday. You know, he speaks to us in that still small voice. So it wasn't audible. I just knew that he was telling me, you're going to go through something someday. Now, he didn't say that something is going to take your life. I didn't feel any fear. It was just that, hmm, I wonder what that means. And I didn't question him. I didn't, it wasn't like I was sitting there going, God, what are you talking about? Why are you telling me this now? I had a peace about it. And I just thought, okay. And I thought about it every once in a while after that. When I say once in a while, mean like maybe once a year. And again, this is 15 plus years ago, right? It's, it was, a, I, I don't even know how many years. It's a lot of years ago. And I just, it would once in a blue moon come up in my thoughts, but I was doing okay. Busy working mom, you know, just life was moving on. Yeah. And then the diagnosis happened in June of 2018. So you went from that working diagnosis to the formal diagnosis. Yes. Yes. And that formal diagnosis was just about a week and a half after that working diagnosis. And I didn't immediately think about that funeral and what the Lord had dropped in my heart, but it came to my mind a couple months later. It was like, hey, you remember I let you know years and years ago, and I remember that I'd never felt fear Mm -hmm. about what he shared. Mm -hmm. And here I was in the middle of this life altering situation. And he reminded me so sweetly. That was me letting you know you were going to walk a journey like this. I am hearing that more and more from people where God has given them like a glimpse into something that's coming. So let's get back to your story about between that working diagnosis and the actual diagnosis. Tell me what was your conversation with God at that time? Oh, absolutely. It was raw. (laughs) I will tell you at first, the, the grief hit me the day the working diagnosis happened. All the feelings, the anger, the shock, the denial, And I thought, why me and why now? I wasn't questioning God. I just didn't understand. And in those days afterward, before I went to UVA, like I went to work the next day, you know, like I, there was nothing I could do between that first appointment and then going to see the ocular oncologist at UVA that I could really do. And I thought maybe work will help, although it's a stressful end of year. Any educator will tell you at the end of the year, it's a stressful time. But I had a big presentation to give about my school counseling program. I just went in that day like, I'm going to be focused and it's going to be okay. And um, (laughs) the Lord knew I needed the office that I had. Because I had this big couch. And it was actually from the living room that we had in North Carolina. When we moved, we changed furniture. And so I had our home couch right there in my office. And 
my principal, when he was stressed, he would come in and sit on that couch and let me know all the things going on. And we would talk and, you know, I had staff members come in. I would have students come in. But on that day, after the diagnosis, I had to sit on that couch. I got to a point in that day that I was so overwhelmed with anxiety as part of the grief because there's so much that was unknown. I didn't know anything about risk of metastasis, what my life was going to look like from here on out. I had no idea about any of that part. This was just the day after of your world just turned upside down. And I was on that couch and I started shaking and I called our school nurse who was a dear friend of mine. I said, can you please come down here? I'm not okay. She said, I'm coming. Absolutely. So she comes in my office and she let me cry. She let me say, I don't understand. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even know what this means. She let me just let it out right there. And it would be really easy for me to be angry at God. What happens when we get bad news? We get mad or sad or all kinds of things, right? Like our gut reaction are those kinds of feelings. But I wasn't angry at God. I was upset with the situation. I didn't understand what this was going to mean. But I wasn't angry at him because I know that we live in a fallen world. I know that bad things happen to good people, that tragedies happen. I mean, my goodness, turn on the news for two minutes and we know that bad things are happening everywhere. Yes. So I wasn't angry at him. I just didn't understand why me, why now? That's a scary place to be when your life is interrupted to that degree, because tell the listeners what they told you about ocular cancer. I will say I learned a lot from my husband and of course my doctors, I say doctors, I have an ocular oncologist and an oncologist because this is a type of cancer that has to be followed very closely for life. So before my plaque radiation surgery, that's what we decided to do to treat the tumor. Thankfully, it was small enough, just small enough that we could treat it with radiation. Um, Had it been any bigger, I would have had to have my eye removed. But my doctor at UVA said, I am always favor saving your eye over taking it out if we can, and we can save your eye, we can treat it. And I was like, let's do that because I don't want a prosthetic eye. Nobody does, you know, but there are situations in life where that has to happen. I said, but if it doesn't have to happen, let's treat the eye. And I told my husband, I I cannot research anything. I will read the paperwork that I'm supposed to read before the surgery, but I can't Google anything. I mentally could not handle it. And he's the researcher in our family. He said, I'll look at everything that we need to know, period. Like, I'm not going to tell you anything unless you ask me questions. And I said, I will have no questions until after this little plaque is out of my eye. (laughs) And I didn't ask him any questions. I only read the paperwork from the doctor. Um, As we were learning, 
leading up to surgery. So the diagnosis was June 1st, 2018. I had radiation plaque surgery on June 26th. So 25 days later, my eye is going through extensive surgery. And um, it, it was quite fascinating. There's these people called radiation oncologists and they make things for your body that is just amazing. The, the world of medicine and science, thank God for it. It's absolutely amazing. Um, this doctor made a little radiation plaque that fit in my eye for seven days. Now that's the maximum amount of time you can have a tumor treated. And I had it treated seven days because of the size. They wanted to be able for it to, to have as much radiation as safely as possible. So that happened, had it out on July 3rd. And then I started to learn about risk of metastasis. My husband in my recovery over that summer started telling me about you're going to get biopsy results from the surgeries. When I had the surgery, they actually biopsied the tumor, which was dangerous in and of itself, um, just because of the way the tumor sits in the eye. You would think it would be something they could just remove, but it actually has to be treated. They can't remove the tumor from the eye. So he said, you um, are going to get some results in August and it's going to be one of three levels. So I need you to know about that before we go see your ocular oncologist again in August. And he said, he told me the levels of risk and I remember him saying the highest level of risk for metastasis was 72%. And I was like, oh, that's really high. And 72% within five years of diagnosis. So ocular melanoma, if it metastasizes, it travels through the blood. And this is regardless of whether you've had it treated with radiation or proton beam therapy, or if you had your eye removed. There's no difference in how you handle the treatment of the eye. If it metastasizes, it would go to the liver primarily. It could go to the lungs. It could go to other major or organs like the brain. So he was prepping me over the summer. I need you to be aware of what this could look like in August when you get these results. And of course, I'm praying. My family's praying. My church family's praying and we're praying for complete healing. You know, I wanted that miraculous healing. I wanted that healing where when they went to do the surgery in June, it was gone, right? Like everybody. Amen. Amen. Yes. That wasn't the case. And I just said, okay, we're going to have to treat this thing. You know, like that's just what we're going to have to do. And if this is the journey I'm on, this is the journey I'm on. And in that summer between the surgery and getting results in August, that is where I started chasing after Jesus with my whole heart. I've known him since I was three. I asked him into my heart when I was three. Oh. And I, at that point in my life, was a really busy working mama and wife and educator and just. Wasn't seeking him with my whole heart. And that summer is when I started. And can I tell you, I haven't stopped. Mm -hmm. So when August rolled around, my ocular oncologist sat me down and said, I have your biopsy results. 
And he said, unfortunately, I have to tell you, it is the highest level of risk. You're at a 72% risk for metastasis within the next five years. Mm. I don't, how did you take that in that moment? Cause I think every Christian should pray for supernatural healing. It's possible that yeah. that's God. Yes. But sometimes he does not remove that. The truth is yeah. he walks with you through it. What's going through your mind and your heart because you didn't get just one or two, you got the highest level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really had tried to prepare my heart for the worst but it hit me like a brick, as you can imagine. Like, surely, Lord, if I've got to deal with this, could it at least be the lowest risk? Let's just not add any more stress to the plate, you know? Yes. But it was the highest risk. And, and my husband had done so much research that his face showed everything that he was feeling. Because he had already started to look into an ocular ocular melanoma community online and just looking at people's experiences. Again, I wasn't ready for that. I I needed to get through the summer and figure out what life was going to look like. And my doctor continued the conversation. So there was the results. And he said, what this means is you're going to need to have extensive scanning for the next five years. That means every six months you'll have a chest CT and you'll have an MRI of your abdomen and pelvis. So they pretty much cover the whole central part of my body every six months. He said, I'm going to set you up with an oncologist here at UVA and she's going to work with you. We partner together um, and you'll do extensive blood work every six months because they're looking for liver enzymes in particular. Um, And so it wasn't only the risk, it was also, you will have to go through repetitive scanning. And I was not prepared for that. But I said, okay, Lord, here we go. I'm going to be praying through every step of this journey. I had to be scanned before I even got the surgery back in June because ocular melanoma is such an aggressive cancer. Sometimes it has already spread in patients before they even realize they have ocular melanoma. So I had to be scanned right off the bat, but I didn't realize that that was going to be a continual thing. I do want to share with you yesterday, I got to see that ocular oncologist. Do tell. And we celebrated that this has been five years. And I know that that's a miracle. Amen. Because God is good. And I've I've prayed. I I know. I know he's healed me supernaturally. Of course, I want to see it, literally see it (laughs) in the natural. And I believe that I will someday. I'm just holding on to his word. And chasing him every single day with my whole heart. 
Speaking of that, you had six Bible verses that you clung to and would pray over them. Can you share them? Yes, absolutely. So I'll give you snippets of them because a few of them are a little bit longer. So the first one is Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Here's how I came across these verses. This is when I went to Google <laughs> because I have read verses over the years. I have several memorized, but I was like, okay, Lord, I need all the hope and the peace and the healing verses that you have. And there's way more than these six, but these are the ones that spoke to my heart the most in that beginning of this journey. And I have prayed them every day since. So that was the first one, Isaiah 26, three. And I also, um, I had not really come across Psalm 103, one through four until I was looking for verses. And I'm going to, I'm going to shorten this one a little bit. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Not just some. Oh, at all. Yeah. Amen. That's what he promises. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a verse that I memorized as a teenager at youth camp. And I didn't have to look this one up. This one I knew was going to be a part of my daily prayer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And that when I pray over all kinds of situations, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you, <laughs> right? You know, because what do we do when we get awful news? We worry, we Google, like we do all the things. And oftentimes we don't go to God first. And that's what I want to remember every day, Lord, whatever situation I'm dealing with, whether it's my health is having a now teenage daughter, whatever the case is, God, let me go to you first before I seek any other advice or counsel. And then Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The Lord has used a few dreams in the last few years that he's given me. You know, the Lord gives us dreams. Yeah. And I've woken up and there'll be dreams like a snake is chasing me, but can't quite catch me. And I'll wake up and he'll say, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's beautiful. That light in the dark. Yes. Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes, we are healed. And 1 Peter 2.24, I added in, so this is like a bonus verse, by whose stripes you were healed. It's already been done on the cross. Past tense. Yes, it's already been done. So just like all the other benefits, we claim them, not go looking for them, yes. not pray for them, but we claim them. Yes. That's what I see you doing in the scripture. Absolutely. When I pray in the morning, when I start praying, Lord, thank you for no metastasis in my body. That's the first thing I say. I don't say, Lord, help me, you know, like it's it's not even a request anymore. It's a praise. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, that nothing in my body has metastasized. I thank you for that. 
And you have, you have five years of testimony that yes. nothing has mastitized in your body, yes. even though that is predicted with, what was it? 73% likelihood. 72%, yes. 72% likelihood within five years. So this is an ongoing situation. Are you still getting scans? Yes. So I, wonderful news that I found out yesterday is that with my ocular oncologist, now that I've made it to five years, I only have to go once a year instead of every six months. And when I see my oncologist in October, once we get the results of those scans and blood work, I will graduate to also going a whole year instead of every six months. So God is good. It'll be less scanning, which is good because scanning is not great for your body. (laughs) Congratulations on that. That's super exciting. God is good. Have you been able to be a light to these other groups who get this same bleak diagnosis? I will tell you the Facebook community that I'm a part of, um, I'm cautious about when I go in and look at information there because some of it is grave and it's so sad. Mm -hmm. Um, There are loved ones of ocular melanoma patients and then there are the OM survivors themselves. And so um, I have to be prayed up before I even open that page because it can easily pull me down. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. But I have gone in and shared encouragement. I've responded to people's posts. Mm-hmm. And in November of 2021, the Lord prompted me to start a women's Facebook page. Because I had told my husband, I said, my purpose on this planet is to speak life, love, purpose, and hope into the hearts of women. That's what he's made me to do. And he kept saying to me, well, you need to do it. And I'm like, well, I know, but where am I supposed to do that? He's like, I don't know, but you know, the Lord will show you, like, you'll figure it out. And then it was just like, one day I was talking to the Lord and he told me, this was in the fall of 2021. I want you to go live four Sunday nights on your public Facebook page. I will give you what to say. Okay, so I did. And halfway through that, he spoke to me, start a women's Facebook group. And on your last live, you're going to talk about this women's Facebook group that you're starting. And praise God, he has given me the opportunity to share my story, to encourage women, to interview godly, amazing women who lift others up. And you have stories that are mind-blowing, miraculous stories. And he's given me the opportunity to do that. I'm just going to be honest and and just a little raw right now. And I know this is going to reflect on my maturity in Christ, but I'm going to put it out there. I think that I would have a hard time sharing my story in the setting where everyone else is struggling. Because I would be afraid that, A, I might think I look like I'm some success story, but kind of sorry to be you guys, but I made it. And then the other thing is that I would worry that the reality is God deals with us in different ways. There are some people going home with this particular type cancer. And so what does that do to God? Does that make God look like a liar or that he doesn't care about everyone, which I know is not true. But what are your thoughts about that? Well, I'll tell you, my husband had said to me before I posted, because I said, you know, I was thinking about posting in the ocular melanoma group about my group. 
And he said, I just be careful about that. I said, well, I'm going to be prayed up before I do it. And I'll tell you, when I hit post, my heart fluttered, you know, because you don't know how people are going to respond. And at the end of the day, not everybody's going to like you and they're not going to understand or they're going to be angry that your story looks different than theirs or their loved ones, right? I'll tell you, number one, I'm only here because because of the grace of God. One thing that my mom has been a testimony of for many years is that we're not going anywhere until God says it's time. But everybody's journey looks different. And mine has been no walk in the park. I've had to deal with eye injections um, in the last few couple of years because of radiation. My vision has been greatly impacted. Um, so it's not been a walk in the park. It, you know, it, there have been complications because of all that I've went through since 2018. Um, but um, no that people need to be encouraged. We're all, we all fight battles at different points in life. Mm-hmm. It may not be an illness you never saw coming. It could be that you've lost a job, you know, and in your very difficult experience, you've lost someone you love so much. We all have battles and we all need encouragement. I agree. There are many types of deaths. And they need to be grieved anytime that that is yanked from our life. Your vision needs to be grieved because you don't have full vision in the eye. No, here is the goodness of God. I'm at the ocular oncologist. I can barely see the big E. And when I say barely, it's fuzzy. And thank God I know it's an E because if it wasn't, I might've missed it. It's that bad. Okay. So, and We're going to treat that a little bit differently. We're looking at a new and different treatment option that I'm praying about because it's nerve wracking and I can't do it without the Lord. I I could not sit through eye injections without him. There's no way my nerves could handle it without his peace. But I can function day to day without wearing eyeglasses. I have them for computer use, but in the last few months of working, I stopped using them because I found out I was having more trouble using them than not. (laughs) And I can drive with no problem. My left eye, praise the Lord, has maintained vision beautifully. God hasn't tried to compensate or anything. It does compensate, which is how I've been able to do all the things without even wearing full-time glasses. Nobody has said to me, you need to wear full-time glasses because this eye, my left eye has been compensating beautifully all of this time, even with all vision changes. Because when I first came out of surgery, my vision actually improved a few months later. Hmm. It stayed that way. And then it started to decline and decline rapidly. So with that came headaches and all kinds of crazy side effects with my eye. And that's why I had to start injections, inflammation and vision. Mm -hmm. Um, But through it all, God has been so good. And I can still right now, praise God, walk around without glasses. That's him. He's the only reason I can do that. Amen. Backing up a little bit because the Holy Spirit just dropped something. A reminder in my spirit 
to your point that everybody's journey looks different. And I just felt him check me say, remember, it's the journey with me. I show up in intimate ways and walk them through each individual journey. And so healing on this side Mm -hmm. of glory isn't always the goal. It's his presence and his beauty and the intimacy as he gets you through each phase, each of the valleys that go through with that type of phase. Absolutely. Yes. Let me ask you this really quick. And speaking of dark valleys, when you're going through one, Mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of it spent in isolation. There's just something about a painful season that you need to struggle with God and life. And no one can really help you with that sort of personal, intimate reasoning of your own mind. But isolation is Satan's playground because it's where he tries to separate you from God and from support and help and truth. In what ways does Satan try to undermine the truth that you knew about God? Early on, anytime I would start researching myself, It was where Satan went on a full-on attack with my thoughts, Mm. which raised my level of anxiety. What if you don't get to see your daughter grow up? What if you're at some point won't be able to see? What if something goes wrong with this procedure or that procedure? Even the biopsy, I remember having to read about the risk of them taking a sample of the tumor. And if you read it and believe that was going to happen, like, and and I'm sure it's kept people, I know it's kept people from doing it. And I was just like, Lord, I do at this point in life want to know what the risk looks like. So I'm just going to trust that when they take that sample, that nothing moves in my body. I just had to cling to him. And when those negative, awful thoughts came in, first of all, I had to recognize where they were coming from and say, that's it. No more Satan. I would rebuke him in the name of Jesus and start praying those verses. I trust you with all my heart and I'll lean not on my own understanding. That's that power in the word. When we allow God into those painful places with authentic questions and struggles, and then we let God speak his truth into what we believe, what we think, what we're reading, he is a lifeline for strength and for courage to move forward in that and to trust him. I just did a podcast episode about doctors, whether we know, we don't know whether they're believers or not. We don't know what they're using in order to heal us. Yet, as Christians, we have direct access to God. Yes. And so we can pray over our doctor. We can pray over the equipment, the machines, the whatever. I even pray when I'm praying for people who are getting ready to go into surgery. I even pray for the team to get along because sometimes your doctors and nurses do not get along. Mm -hmm. And so I want a cohesive environment for that person, whoever I'm praying for. Amen. One of the things that I walked away from my tragedy with my trauma over losing my husband is that God, I heard this many times, but the reason I'm going to share it today is in case someone is looking up this particular episode because of the topic Mm -hmm. and, and it's a rare cancer. And so I want them to know that I heard many times that God doesn't allow you to go through anything that you can't 
deal with. And I say that's a lie because I could not deal with that. And I can't imagine being told the diagnosis you had and the results of that and what your outlook was down the road and decide, you know what, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Just suck it up. And, you know, there's some truth to that, but I think you'll admit like me, no, I couldn't handle that. What am I supposed to do with that? But here's what I walked away with after the, after the Lord showed me his intimacy through that valley was that God never allows anything that he does not plan to redeem. And that's been a powerful transformation for me. Now, redemption could look different to people, whatever that may mean, but God nonetheless brings redemption. And so for you to sit here and share your story about who God is in the midst of ocular cancer is part of your redemption in that you're getting to tell your story about how good God is in the midst of this trial and this journey. I wanted to second what you said. It's not in the word (laughs) that he's not going to give us more than we can handle. That's not scripture. He gives us sufficient grace for today. He helps us go day by day. I'm a planner by nature. So that's hard for me. Like I want to know what's happening next week and 10 years from now. I've always been like that. This has made me slow down and say, your grace is sufficient for me today. And that's all I'm going to worry about. Like you said, I could not walk this journey without him. I would not have mental peace. I would just not be okay without him. After knowing him like I do and going through that particular valley with him, I don't understand how people are able to keep themselves afloat, if you will, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Where, Where's the lifeline? Where's the truth? Where's the love, the grace, the mercy, the patience, yes. the the kindness? And speaking of that, backtracking just a little bit, in what ways did you find help or support to know that you're not alone on this journey? Lots of people praying. My mom has been a prayer warrior for many, many years. And of course, she was the first person I called in the parking lot from the working diagnosis. And I really knew, like, I just knew prayer had to be such a key part of day to day to day. She is a walking miracle herself. And I know that prayer and support, you know, number one, God, (laughs) number one, he's the one that's got her through every trial. Um, And you were asking about my support. It came from family. It came from church family and friends. Thank God for those people that let me cry with them, that let me be really raw and just say how I was feeling. Um, But most importantly, my relationship with the Lord is what carried me through the dark moments, those moments of uncertainty was just telling him how I was feeling and feeling that love from him and knowing that he was in control of everything. He knew this was going to happen, right? He knew we were going to move to Richmond a year before. He knew my daughter was going to be the sweet angel that got me to the eye doctor when I did. He knew all that. 
I had to lean into him like I never had. And thank God for the godly people around me and that pray and still pray to this day, still part of that support network. Um, but my mom, when I was born, she developed an abscess, of course, didn't know that. And three weeks after I was born, my dad went to pick up medication from a pharmacy, like high-powered pain medication. And the pharmacist stopped him and said, why is your wife taking, how old is your baby? Three weeks old. Why is your wife taking this level of pain medication? He said, you need to get her to the hospital. My mom went to the hospital and they found an abscess the size of a grapefruit. Had it ruptured, she would have died. Mm. God knew. Thank God he put that pharmacist at the right place at the right time. When I was pregnant with my daughter, so this was in 2009, early 2010, my mom had endometrial cancer. Praise God, she was treated and she's been cancer-free ever since. When I was a sophomore in college, she had a brain aneurysm that ruptured twice. That I don't even understand when you say It doesn't even make sense because 25, we learned uh, 25% of people who have an aneurysm rupture die immediately. Yes. When she went to the hospital that night that it happened, first of all, it happened at church and people surrounded her and prayed for her. She got to the hospital. She had so much blood in her brain that doctors could not even locate where it had ruptured, could not even pinpoint it. So couldn't do surgery like that needed to happen right away. The next morning, she was clear enough that they could pinpoint it and did the surgery. And then the anesthesiologist told us, you could have heard a pin drop in that operating room. He said, there is no way your mom should have survived. And my dad and I looked at him and said, that's God. Mm -hmm. The night that she had the aneurysm, we got on our knees and cried out to the Lord, please save her life. Please, God, we know you're not done with her yet. Mm -hmm. When I was diagnosed with cancer that summer, I cried out to the Lord. Please, God, let me see my daughter grow up. He's such a good, good father. Five years later and your baby girl's growing up. Yes, that's beautiful. What is something that surprised you about God in the midst of your journey? Because you've known him since you were three. Yeah. So there's a where you get into this place of comfort and ease in relationship and God included. And so I'm just thinking, what surprised you about him? Yeah. I learned when I passionately pursued him, he was already pursuing me. He was already showing me things. He helped me remember those many years ago when he spoke to me about something's going to happen. And that's where I recognized I could have had this kind of relationship with him all these years. What have I been doing? Why haven't I been pursuing the Lord like this? Because he's pursuing me. Like, what have I been doing? It was, it's just the sweetest love relationship. 
and one I really can't even put words to that I've heard my mom over the years talk about her time with him, her prayer time. And she's one that she'll pray long periods of time daily. And I just couldn't quite grasp that. And now I get it. Because when she's praying, he's also pouring into her. You know, when God has set it up so that when man, woman, inclines their hearts to him and makes them the Lord of their life. And they step into the prayer relationship and just getting into that intimacy with God. He works through us in the world. Now God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. I'm not saying that we limit him, but I think that because he has chosen to work through us in the world, I can't help but think when we are praying for others, that is a lifeline for him to work in those situations. And what a powerful Yes. Tool prayer is. And so that's an immediate place where he can work. Yes. And, and do his thing, show up like he is beautiful and whole. Oh, and, yeah, it is. And, and just like you said a minute ago, too, he has not given us an adequate vocabulary in order to praise him, worship him, describe him. Nope. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I just feel like I don't have enough words to describe how precious he is. And, and our- you know what else he taught me? is that we are so quick to blame ourselves when tragedy strikes in in certain situations. Like I, in those few months that summer in 2018, tried to figure out what did I do to cause this? I was looking for answers left and right. I changed my diet. I became vegan for seven days. I made it seven days. Now, this is a girl who grew up in the barbecue capital of the world in North Carolina. And I remember at the end of that week, my husband looked at me and he said, I will support anything you want to do, any change you want to make. But you are miserable. And he was telling me the truth. He's always been good at telling me the truth in a loving way. And he said, is it worth this? Like, do you, do you think this is what you need to be doing? Now, the Lord didn't tell me to go be vegan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He didn't. I just did it because I had researched something and I had watched a YouTube video and this is what I'm going to do. Now, let me say, nutrition is a very, very important part of my life and exercise. And it has been for many years. I did need to improve some of my eating habits for sure. But it wasn't to go for me. That was an extreme for me. It's not for some. And I support anybody that wants to change their health habits in a way that they feel is appropriate, whether that's vegan or whatever it is, you know, walking four times a week, whatever that the case may be. But I realized I did that out of fear. Like, did I cause this? Was I exposed to something? There's two pockets um, in the country of ocular melanoma patients. One is near Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina in the Huntersville area, and the other area is in Auburn University. And I lived in Charlotte for six years. Now, I didn't live in Huntersville, but I lived very close. And I thought, was it something I was exposed to while I was in school? Like, what could I, how could I go back and fix that? But The devil wanted nothing more than to attack my mind and put me in a frenzy 
and get me to turn my world upside down even more. And it wasn't necessary. And finally, the Lord dropped into my heart. Stop searching. Just trust me. I think it's a natural response. That's what perpetuates the anxiety is the fear. If we don't address the fear with the Lord and hit it right between the eyes, in my opinion. But there's also, if we can blame ourselves first, there's a target that we can deal with. That's how we can manage and control our situation. But I think also when I hear you say that, it reminds me that if we can blame ourselves, that means there's a forgiveness issue there. And then that's difficult. I think we can even forgive other people before we forgive Mm ourselves. And so Satan is successful in that area if we will not relinquish forgiveness to ourselves in any way, shape or form. So for God to say, hey, calm down, sweetheart. That's right. (laughs) That's right. You know, every year I have a word of the year that I focus on, that I pray about. And my word this year is surrender. And every morning I say to the Lord, I surrender my heart, my thoughts, my body, and my will to you. And with God, that's a power position. Yeah. What's the the best advice that you can think of based on your experience? Can you give someone when they find themselves living in uncertainty? Number one, talk to Jesus. Tell him, tell him how you feel. I told him exactly. I cried out to him. I don't get this. I'm not happy about it. I know it's not from you, but I know it's been allowed. I need you. Talk to him. And number two, have godly people around you that will lift you up in prayer and encourage you. I thank God for my family and my church family. That's a lifeline in itself right there. Yeah. I think to know you're not alone is huge. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to share that I have not asked you about? I do want to share this. A few months after the diagnosis, One day I was talking to the Lord and I said to him, thank you for choosing me. Like I said a little bit ago, the cancer wasn't from him, but you've allowed me to walk this journey. There's so much uncertainty. Thank you for choosing me to draw into you in this kind of way. I would not have done this on my own. Lord, I would not have sought you the way that I do every day now had this not happened in my life. I thanked him. Thank you for helping me to see that me pursuing you showed me you were already pursuing the deepest, most intimate relationship that I could ever have with anybody. That just totally humbles my heart to hear your appreciation for cancer. Now, granted, it's deeper than that. It's your appreciation 
of who God is in the midst of pain and suffering. Yes. He has chosen to reveal himself to you in that context, because maybe you feel this way too, despite the pain that is in that journey, the uncertainty, there is so much beauty that he will deliver into that situation and the beauty of who he is. Like you, what you'll often hear me say now is that I thought I would have to look for God and invite him into my situation, but I found him already there waiting on me. Yes. And He's so, there. yeah. Yeah. It's incredible beauty. I also have told him, I would do this all over again. Wow. To have this kind of relationship with you. Nobody wants to be diagnosed with cancer, but I would walk every moment of this journey, surgery and all, vision problems and all. Needles to your eye. All of that. All the physical pain, mentally taxing days. I would do it all over again to have this relationship with you, Lord. That's beautiful. Well, we've run out of time. And I'm sad to say that because there is so much beauty in the midst of your story. So thank you, Suzanne. I appreciate you so, so much. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.